Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Welcome, listeners. I'm here today with uh, Marianne Francesi for part two of our podcast series, where today we're going to look at healing as performance and performance as healing. So welcome, Marianne, to part two of our conversation. Hi, Bob. It's a pleasure to be back. So nice to have you. Thanks. So we, we raised a lot of issues in the last conversation that we had. Okay. And we're going to pick up this time with this idea as healing as performance. And I, I want to I share a story with you to kind of introduce this. So I was, I was kind of, a few years back, I was kind of kicking this idea around in my head. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who had been involved in the, one of the apprenticeships that I did in Curanderismo. And I just in casually in, in talking about it, I, I was sharing this thought that I had that, that healing really is a type of performance. And she was offended that I said that. And it was almost like she had the impression that when I referred to it as performance, that I was saying that it was creating something out of it that it isn't. In other words, that performance would make it make-believe or less than real, whereas the healing act itself is so primary and so um, so genuine that to call it performance would be to trivialize it. Right, to see it as in it, inauthentic. Inauthentic, exactly. Right, so I, I thought this might be a good place for us to begin this conversation because that was sort of the direction that we were going in in the last conversation was toward performance and yes. its role in healing. So mm -hmm. I think I know what your impression is going to be, but let's let's go with it. Let's start with what you have to say. So healing as performance right versus performance as healing healing as performance when performance could very well be inauthentic right it's mm -hmm. not you know it's not real it's it's a fake um but what you're really talking about is creating the sacred space. And that's part of what we started to talk about last time, which is the liminal space. Mm -hmm. It's where time is suspended during performance. The in-between. The in-between, the imaginal space. You mm -hmm. suspend reality. You go into another time. You cross a threshold into this agreement that something here is going to be created outside of regular time, space, reality. And there is a certain... Um, level of reverence around that mm -hmm. so if in fact the performance is going to be healing there is a preparation that is needed for that and it is about preparing the space mm 
Mm -hmm. making it into the sacred space, setting an intention, gathering the objects and tools that are going to be needed, putting on the ceremonial wear that is sort of like the costume, right? Mm -hmm. That allows you to be get into role and to truly begin to embody spirit in the practice. And then within that space, there is this rising of healing material. And I think, you know, it also performance awakens the senses in a way that nothing else does really. So if you're smelling the smoke of the tobacco, if you're hearing the bells, if you are hearing the beat of the drum, you are truly getting transported through your sensory system. So the wholeness, again, of being human is really being stimulated in a way to have heightened awareness and um with that a surrender to something that is bigger than the here and now that's how i see i well i agree with you wholeheartedly and i i love that you raised the issue of liminality and certainly Mm -hmm. in cultural anthropology that's a very important topic one that that um for example victor turner did a lot of work with this concept of liminality, uh, the the betwixt and the between. Yes. That the magic lies in that. It does. And, you know, I'm thinking about uh, ceremonies, non-Western ceremonies, for example, where people are separated from everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that that creates this uncertainty. It creates this almost like I I guess I would describe it as a spiritual tension. Yes, because it's dualistic. It is, you know, us and them, you have the authority, I don't, versus the circle, where everyone is gathered together and on equal playing fields is a very different um, sense of belonging to the whole which is the outcome at the end of the ceremony. Yes. Yes. Right. So this this liminality sets up the the um the possibility that you're creating the, that you're postulating which in this case is that a healing can take place. Yes. And awakening through the senses to say this something significant is occurring here bring to this a different awareness than you would normally have and a different level of respect yeah right and um and just following the protocol right there's very specific protocol to Mm -hmm. healing ceremonies that we're all respectful of and it is similar like to to be directing a psychodrama which is an enactment of someone's story is a very reverent space and the founder of psychodrama moreno his stages had 
different levels on it so that there was there was the ability to play in the spiritual realm as well not just on the earthly plane but within that space even as witness there is this possibility for catharsis right that's what yeah. was originally said performance gives this sort of catharsis by watching other you are living it as well and embodying and reacting and feeling and healing mm -hmm. so it's not just the person who is being treated that is healed but the group is healed as well and i you know i think back to some of the most um i don't want to overuse the word dramatic but but um dramatic healing moments that i've seen that I've either been a part of or observed or facilitated for somebody else. And there was always that moment that felt like like performance in the highest way that you could possibly use it. Well, and I I've really come to realize that performance is a form of prayer. Mm -hmm. It is either a help me <laughs> help me uh it's a praise praising thank you thank you or it's like the hallelujah this is amazing so it it is a um it is a vessel it is a vessel for a very specific kind of prayer and by prayer i mean connection to a higher power Mm -hmm. that is working through all of us to allow this to somehow transcend somehow make better can we come out better for it changed in some way for the better and the 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 interesting part of it also is that by it's like through engaging the senses it's a way of transcending the senses yes yes because we're 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 not leaving our physical senses in that way we're we're grounded in them and bringing drawing spirit into this very physical concrete realm of the material yeah and again if we if we look at theater as kind of the metaphor for this this healing the the healer must prepare meticulously. It is not, uh, it's not something that you go into not having taken care of your own business first, right? It is really important to become that vessel, the, you know, the one who can direct the action in a way that can lead to somewhere new. So I'm just curious, Marianne, if you can, now that we've kind of gone down this road and we've really described it, we laid out the groundwork in our last interview and here this one where we're moving into um, looking at performance. Can you give me an example from your work of a time that you engaged this? So there, there was a time where I was working on um, 
creating autobiographical performance pieces with people. And basically that was taking a story from your life and thinking about staging it for an audience and the process of, of really beginning to choose what would be spoken um, with the intent, of course, to share, heal, and also allow um, the audience to become part of the dialogue as well. So within autobiographical performance, there is the performance, but then afterwards there's the talk back part of the performance where the audience gets a chance to share their thoughts, make connections. And, um, and so the whole process from start to finish the rehearsal process, the creating of the material, the performance after the performance is part of this whole. So that's that's on a, um, a, a larger scale. But then there are also psychodramatic performances where within a psychodrama group, I could direct someone in their life story where they're looking at something from their past, embodying these stories, casting people in the roles, reversing roles, um, having their thoughts and feelings expressed by the group. And within those types of performances, you're, it's really about gaining deeper insight and understanding and um, releasing, letting go what needs to be let go of for healing to take place. So there's, there's many forms performance can take in many different ways. And, um, but what makes it different? That's the question for me. What will make that different from putting on a play that can also have very healing qualities for the performers? And it really goes to the intention right? It all starts with this intention and with this openness to exploring on and deeper levels and then finding form, creative form, metaphorical form to express some universal truth. So from the individual truth, the individual experience, can there be uh, a universal truth in that that allows for connections to happen. And it's vulnerable. It's a very vulnerable process. Um, and there needs to be care taken and not to go further than the person who um, is the protagonist, is the lead, can go. And I feel like that's the same in healing, that in healing ceremony and practice, as the healer, there needs to be a great attunement to how far is far enough and where do we begin to, you know, hone in and think about this is as far as we can go in this session. It also, I think, brings us back to what we talked about in the, the last session, which was the idea of the hero's journey. Yes. Yes. That the hero is our protagonist in the story. 
Yes, exactly. And it does follow that road, right, of introducing the conflict, having the struggle through it, finding the insight, and then as a good hero in a hero's journey, how do you bring that back into community? And in a way, wouldn't, I mean, couldn't we make the argument that every time we watch a movie with a plot line, and so many of them are the hero's journey played out, that in a way, we are witnessing a healing and drawing it into ourselves. For sure. And we know that by the kinds of movies or stories that resonate so deeply with us, the ones that bring us to tears, the ones that don't leave us, haunt us, Mm -hmm. uh, the ones that scare us, the ones that we're so angry and disgusted by. That's pretty much something has awakened in you through Mm -hmm. this experience. And it engages the emotions in the process. It does. It engages the emotion and some linger and some don't. Why? That's very individual. Well, I know the first Star Wars movie movie is sometimes described as the quintessential hero's journey in a movie form. Mm -hmm. Yes. And when we watch that, you know, we're, we're putting ourselves into the middle of the action to go through that that journey, to be healed in the process. Well, and what is so amazing about that is that it was conceived after, who's the guy who wrote it? Lucas. After he was hit by a car, in traction, laid up and could not move for nine months of his life. And this story of the good forces, the light forces, the dark forces started percolating in him. And ultimately, he created this story, truly, I believe, out of this personal uh, tragedy that he was experiencing. And that is the incredible gift of being human, is that we can create out of the darkness. We need and, and create meaning. Create deep meaning. Yeah. Deep We're meaning. Making machines. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Sometimes too much. Sometimes it's <laughs> what it is. That's it. Well, the other thing that it that this conversation kind of stirred up in my mind is the idea behind family constellation therapy, also. Yes. Very much. The idea of recreating, um, in a way, I guess we could say recreating the past. Well, and what is very beautiful about family constellations and truly takes it into the intuitive realm is that it is not about language as Mm. much as it's about movement. Right. So it is this dance that happens that is completely intuitively directed as to how you move, what you move closer to, where you move away from. And in just being part of it, I don't have much experience with it, but the few that I have experienced, I felt like I was processing those consolations for days afterwards. And and the amazing thing about it is everybody is moved by it. Everybody is affected. 
everybody is affected. It, it actually is an enactment, I believe, of the interconnectedness of human beings on an energetic level. Mm. So even though it is using story from your life, it is not so much playing out that dialogue as the movement and the need for the movement to shift so that there can be a return to some homeostasis, some balance. Now, what about in, I mean, the, I, I thought of family constellations. I, I actually thought about groups first and then family constellations, but let's back up to groups in general. So what about in group work? Have you, have you used this, um, for example, in any of the groups that you've worked with? Hmm. Well, groups have their own what's called sociometry, which means there is a natural kind of energetic web that happens in group where certain people are more drawn to others. Certain people are repelled by others. Certain stories are connected, certain aren't. And what action kind of therapy does, the enactment, it gets it on its feet the group and allows us to see it in a visual way. So in, um, in moving along what's called a spectrogram where on one end might be not at all and on the other end very much, if you put out a criteria of um, being comfortable with performing not at all or very much, now people start moving and you see who's, who's clustered with you, who isn't, who's more comfortable, who's left. It gives you this snapshot. So movement, embodiment, getting a group on its feet is uh, just a great way to move things along and to see a bigger picture and to begin to see where connections can be formed. So if we if we think of this the idea of drama as the the our metaphor mm -hmm. for this process, what about the person who suffers from stage fright? Yes, right. So the the idea of um, playing, right? So the person who is shy to play which is really the kind of drama that we're talking about. It's taking on a role that can be embodied. So you can be the one who is the isolate or who's shy or who doesn't want to. That then becomes a role to work with and love and embrace and figure out uh, and hear more from, that's all. Let's hear more from, let's understand what the thoughts and feelings are here. So just about anything can be played out. But if actual performance is too difficult, if the embodiment is too difficult, you want to take a more distant technique. So instead you may make a puppet, mm. work with puppet. You may use the mask, you may use a sand tray and have little figures that you set up so that it isn't on the person. And that, that also is um, something that I have seen in healing practice as well, 
as there's different types of almost like intimacy mm -hmm. that is created and you can have more distant or you can be right there in the heart of what's happening. And that's part of the read. And I, I love that you use the term play here because I, I want to bring up one, one final point here. And that is that, you know, if I go back to that conversation that I started with, with this friend who was offended by my use of the term performance. Yes. If we if we go back to the use of that that term play, something that I always found fascinating in Hinduism is this idea of Leela, hmm. which is the divine play. Oh, beautiful. and it, it's it it's used in the term play here is used in two separate senses. So one is that it is the divine play of a creator who wanted to do something out of playfulness. So that's one sense of it. But the second sense of it is that the creator, this creative force wanted to entertain itself by creating all of these characters who are you and me. And it's really in both of those senses that we're using the term play as healing here as well. Yes. Well, play has this, again, it's liminal. It has this element of spontaneity that when in line, when you're in alignment, can just free you in ways that nothing else can. And with it is joy, which is ultimately I believe the goal for all human beings, right? To, to feel the joy of being alive, even in the most difficult of things we face, there's an aliveness in it and um, a, a, a potential to mm -hmm. transform. And so Marianne, we're, we're nearing the end. I wanted to just ask you for, in your opinion, one takeaway for our listeners that drama therapy, creative arts therapy could offer to somebody who's not involved in the profession of this in some way, but who is interested in spirituality and in healing. Well, I think that in a sense, so much of spiritual work has its roots in drama. There is an element of that kind of creation that's really important. But at the, the heart of hearts of it is this cre creativity that we all have access to as human beings. And to be able to enter into the creative space to be able to get lost to it, to go into that fertile void and come out with something new is one of the most beautiful pursuits of being human. And I feel like it's ways that we touch God. We certainly touch the mother God of, of creation, of mm -hmm. being able to have this potential to create, to bring forth new life, to bring forth a new insight. 
and that is at the heart of all inspiration. And so to me, that very much is at the heart of drama therapy, is touching, touching that spark within our own hearts that makes us want to create something new and better and good and connected and um, putting it out there to share with others in some way. Well, what a beautiful way to, to um, kind of encapsulate so much of what we've discussed here in these two sessions. And Marianne, if our, any of our listeners would like to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Sure. It, you could email me at mfranzizi333 at gmail.com. And um, how on earth do you spell Franchese? F R A N Z E S E. Good. One more time. <laughs> the whole thing. The whole thing. M Franzese, F R A N Z E S E. 333 at gmail.com. Wonderful. And thank you, Marianne, for oh, it's a pleasure. Wonderful, wonderful session together. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.